0: Hello everyone and welcome to Novel. This is your host Caleb Linville. Today I am excited to present episode 7 of When the Mountains Called. But first a few messages. Novel is always looking for new exciting and thought-provoking stories to present on our podcast. If you have a story or a story idea that you would like to share with us for consideration for future seasons, please contact Novel at clinville at novelpodcast.net. That's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E at novelpodcast.net. Or you can visit our website, novelpodcast.net, for more information.
1: Time for another mountain, Max said, because it was clear that Andrew wasn't going to find Pearl among the forgetting people. So the two men bent their knees and half-walked, half-jogged, to the base of the tree line on the south side of the mountain they had just climbed. Down below the ridge, the fog was nowhere in sight. Birds chirped, and Andrew could hear the soft sound of water trickling over fallen branches somewhere to their left. Above them, he knew, over the ridge, the great river coursed, cool and unthinking. And over the ridge, the valley girl would be too. Parting and slowing the mighty waves to save the people searching or meandering below. People like him. They seemed to be in the same forest they had been in a few days ago. The one they'd traveled through when first leaving Mac's timeless hut. But they'd come down the back of the Forgetting Mountain. Not the way they'd come. This then had to be a different set of woods. With the valley somewhere to their right. From the ridgeline the day before, looking out over the valley, Andrew had seen a second set of mountains. Or rather, a third set. Are we headed to the third mountains? Andrew asked Mac, the latter of whom was several paces in front of the first, and clearly not out of breath. Mac chuckled. I ain't ever been there myself, he said, his voice neglecting the older, wiser tone he'd assumed earlier, when Andrew had asked about the forgetting people. Back in the woods, Mac was clearly at home, and Andrew could have been easily with a friend in the forest south of his own valley back home the woods that separated his cabin from the town he and Pearl used to regularly visit. But of course, he hadn't really had a friend in 25 years. Pearl had been his only, really, though he'd often visited with the husbands of her own girlfriends if they'd been attending a housewarming or holiday party, or if they ran into each other while running errands. Even then, Andrew hadn't spoken much, though. He'd been happy to listen to fishing or hiking stories or whatever the other men were discussing while Pearl happily caught up with her friends. One man in particular, the husband of Suzanne, Pearl's closest friend, was one for whom Andrew, over the last decade of Pearl's life, had developed some fondness. This man was quieter than the others, less boisterous and not as proud, who often adopted a listening role if the other men were present, except, of course, when the only other man was Andrew. If Suzanne and Pearl were chattering away in the middle of the pharmacy, Andrew and... What was his name? would stand in comfortable silence together until the other man made a light remark about his maple syrup business back home, the odds and ends that it entailed, and whether or not Andrew might ever want to see it. Andrew never did see it, and Suzanne's husband didn't push, but the topic became a comfortable place to start whenever their wives ran into each other at the store or after church. What was the man's name? Andrew frowned, and it dawned on him. Ernest, yes, Suzanne and Ernest Endleway, As he plodded through the lush, green underbrush, Andrew found himself wondering what Ernest Endelway was up to these days, and whether or not he was still making syrup. Andrew had meant to try it, and to visit their farm, but Pearl and Suzanne often preferred to embark on adventurous escapades in the mountains, or run errands together rather than visit one another's homes. When Pearl had died, Suzanne had come around a few times with homemade meals, her own eyes welling up, and the rest of her face consumed with grief. But after a while she'd stopped it was andrew's fault really he had never invited her in and when she tried to ask him how he was he'd simply grunted and looked down waiting for her to stumble through a tearful goodbye and step down from his porch if suzanne saw him running errands she'd always approach and give him a hug but andrew never said a word beyond the mechanical obligatory hello eventually suzanne and all the others who pearl had known either by face or quite well, stopped asking, and stopped dropping by. Little by little, Andrew stopped going into town. He grew what he could, saved almost everything, and had his necessities shipped. He didn't see any of Pearl's friends beyond the first year after her death, and he never saw Ernest Endelway. Andrew shook his head. He didn't know why he was thinking about Ernest Endelway over 25 years later. The man could have died, or moved, or was now in the hospital, and there was really no way to know. You haven't been to the Third Mountains, Andrew called out, trying to force the image of Ernest and Suzanne from his mind. I sure haven't, Mac obliged. Nobody has. Nobody who's still here, anyway. Looking at Andrew's concerned grimace, Mac chuckled and continued. Nah, Tacito, I don't mean it like that, that people wander off to the Third Mountains and disappear. I mean, if you're going there, you mean to go there. You know what I mean? Andrew did not. Let me put it this way, Ticito. You get to the third mountains when you're done with the first. When you've climbed and sojourned and lived here long enough, or when you've rested with the valley girl long enough to process whatever brought you here in the first place. Well, it's then that you just kind of move on. Mac sat down on the woods floor, leaning on a large mossy boulder that was half concealed in a thicket of pines. Andrew slumped down next to him his muscles throbbing from the morning's long descent. His legs and arms told him he wanted to sleep, but he knew he could not. His mind was racing. He looked at Mac. And you, you haven't? His own question surprised him. He realized he had never asked Mac why he was here in the first mountains and seemed to have been here for quite some time The other man's face was hidden in the shadows of the pine branches, but sunlight streamed through the needles, throwing a razor-thin stream of light across Mac's eyes. His pupils were dark but warm, seemingly absorbing the light and yet throwing it back at Andrew in kaleidoscopic colors, red and orange refracted from Mac's unblinking stare, piercing the shadows formed by the trees around him and forcing Andrew to blink. But even when he closed his eyes, Andrew could see the rainbow in his vision and Mac's green eyes, growing lighter by the second, continued to strike him through the colors. A smile, equal parts wistful and hopeful, broke across Mac's face, and his voice rang out through the kaleidoscope of color, finding Andrew's ears and blocking out all else. The birds, the flow of the streams, the wind, like Andrew was wearing a giant pair of headphones. Even with his eyes closed, Andrew still saw Mac and heard his voice, golden like the sun, and perhaps just as old, each word followed by the faintest echo of itself. Her name is Julia. When I lost her, she was eight years old. Behind Andrew's close eyes, the forest surrounding Mac flattened, and up sprung a small town, a bright red general store, a small schoolhouse, a church, and several small cottages clustered in the town square. A small, tan-skinned, dark-headed girl with pigtails and a bright purple skirt jumped rope alone in the dust of the school playground. Her black shoes were scuffed with dirt, but she was smiling and singing loudly. A song Andrew had heard a long time ago near the schoolyard of the town he and Pearl had once been a part of. Julia, sweet Julia. She was so loud, that girl, and so full of life. She played with everyone in her class, always including the others. But even when she was by herself, she had no less fun. I loved to walk to school after work. I worked long hours at the lumberyard, so she had to wait for me. But every time I came, she would be throwing that rope and singing a song. Papa! The little girl shouted, dropping the fraying rope into the dirt and running towards Andrew. Andrew saw his arms wearing the same red and black checkered sleeves Max still wore reach out towards the girl and hug her warmly when she collided with his chest. He smelled like green apple shampoo and faintly of Play-Doh. Andrew thought he would recoil at the physical touch, but something welled up inside of him. A warm, heartbreaking fondness. He wasn't a father, but it was unmistakable, this feeling. The feeling of hugging his own daughter. The only daughter he through the vision, Max's green eyes flashed something, a soft pain, dulled by time, but still present. Miha, Andrew felt his mouth say, his voice warm and jingling, unmistakably Max. We always did puzzles at home after school, or made tamales, her favorite snack. The vision changed accordingly, showing Julia in a pink little apron, with a scruffy-looking unicorn on the front pocket, she stood at a wooden counter in a small kitchen, not unlike the one Andrew had seen in Max's house that first night before their mountain journey. She held a spoon with corn masa caked on the end, and she was looking up at Andrew, brown eyes shining. Andrew's arm reached over and wiped some masa off her nose. She giggled. Julia's favorite thing to do was to visit her abuela, my father. He lived a few towns over by himself in a little cabin. He fished and sold the fish to the local grocery store every Monday, and that was enough for the week. I grew up in that house, and I loved it too. But Julia, after she was born, had to move out, at the time for Julia's mother's sake. My father understood, on the condition that we visit him every Monday after his trip to the store. He always kept some of the week's catch and fried it up for us. It was Monday, after school, after tamales, after the fish sales. Julia had saved a few of her own bean tamales to bring back to a and we got in the car. Andrew's hands held the steering wheel of a rusty red Ford Tudor. Julia sat down next to him on the brown cloth seats, wearing two big sunglasses and singing along to the radio. A Spanish singer hummed a tune that Andrew did not know, but Julia's sweet soprano made the corners of his mouth turn upwards. Sun streamed through the dusty windshield, and the road in front of them curved with the river. It was a beautiful drive to Abuelos' house. One I'd driven a thousand times before. Every week. The same winding road. The same sparkling river where his weekly catch came from. The same swaying grasses. Everything about this road was familiar. The late evening sun was the same, and it was tricky to drive in with the trees casting their shadows across the road. Right where it bent, making the blind spots even with my big windshield but I had done it a thousand times before. Andrew's hands turned the steering wheel to the right, following the curve of the white lines on the blacktop. The sky was a deep blue, and Andrew had lived in this region long enough to know that it would fade quickly to dark once the sun touched the horizon. He figured it would be in about an hour. Shadows danced on the yellow line. He blinked, drifted over the center line, correcting, understanding what Mac meant. This light was tricky, The truck felt familiar, and Julia was singing, and they were going to Abuelos. It was going to be a good evening. It was going to be a good evening. Julia loved her Abuelo. He loved her. His face lit up every time we stopped by. Fuzzy at first in Andrew's mind, a face swam into clarity. A big white mustache covering thin lips. Eyes green like Max, but much older, crinkling at the edges. The mustache quivered. The man was smiling. Julia's laughter rang out in the background. Abuelo! The man's smile widened. The same feeling from before spread through Andrew's chest. The vision shimmered, and he was back in the car, Julia in the passenger seat, dragging the two of them along the same country road. This day was no different. Same road, same lights, same shadows. I don't even know what happened, but something happened. Is too quick for me to understand, and too abrupt for me to fix. The mood in the truck shifted suddenly. The clouds seemed to darken. The lines in the road grew brighter and the shadows lengthened. Julia's singing was the same, bells jingling in Andrew's ears, but it became an echo as his vision darkened. The truck drifted sideways, crossing the center line again as the road took a sharp bend to the left. Headlights shone in the windshield, dousing the brown interior in a deep gold like a sunbath. It was warm and swirled with the shadows. Beautiful, really. But why were there headlights? They could only mean... Julia's singing broke then, her sweet voice lurched upward into a high-pitched scream. Andrew's right arm flung sideways, his checkered sleeve catching Julia's chest and pinning her to the back of the passenger seat his other arm yanking the steering wheel sideways in a last ditch effort to avoid the oncoming car. A horn blared out of the shadows, but he didn't know if it was his or the others. Tires squealed, tree branches bent down to meet them. His eyes opened, and he was leaning against the boulder in the woods, hands clenching the dirt. He spread his fingers into the ground and looked up at Mac. The rainbow of color was gone from Mac's eyes. They were once again a piercing green. The same flannel from the vision, the one that Andrew had worn, was sitting in front of him now, worn by the other man whose arms were crossed tightly over his chest. Mac sighed. I couldn't do nothing to Cito. Not a damn thing. And that's how. Andrew's voice faltered. Wiping his hands on his corduroy pants, he realized he was sweating. Yes. And that's how she died. Andrew swallowed. He wanted to ask how the abuelo had reacted. If Mac had called an ambulance, how the news had been delivered, but how Mac had felt. All those things. But he didn't. Because all he could think about was the doctor from that one night in July, a couple decades before. His straight face but pitying eyes. And the flatness with which he delivered the news. Because there was really no other way to deliver it but business-like. A transaction that transmitted the message's finality. Because if it didn't, it would create questions. And possibly a little hope. And make the news just that much harder to process. I'm sorry, murmured Andrew, because that was all he could say. Mac nodded, his eyes down. Me too, Tocito, me too. For a while, I was here searching for her, for my Julia, just like you're searching for your pearl. But eventually, I stopped searching. He looked up at Andrew and continued, oh, not because I gave up. Ultimately, I spent a stint in the valley and I realized something. I'll see Julia again. She just ain't here. Andrew squirmed. Max seemed okay with that fact, but it bothered him. What if that were true about Pearl? That she wasn't here? He hadn't really let himself consider it before, but now, with Max sitting in front of him, he had to wonder if that were true. What if he was searching for nothing? Max seemed to read his thoughts. Now that's something I realized for myself. Julia is in the Third Mountains. That's where they all go eventually, the ones who have left us to go to a better home. But that don't mean Pearl is one of them. At least not yet. She could be here, or she could not be. But that's something only you can figure out. Andrew took a deep breath. But if you know that's where your daughter is, then why aren't you there too? Mac looked at him again, his eyes growing brighter. Andrew looked away, but he could still feel Mac's stare on his temples, like the handprint of the sun on a hot day. Because I have to be, he said, his voice soft and older. I am here to be a Macario, a blessing. And until the third mountains call me home, here I'll be. Max stood up, apparently ready to go again, but Andrew's head was spinning. The first mountains had called him. He was meant to be here. He thought it was to find Pearl, but what Mac had said made him stop. What if Pearl were not here, and here was here for some other reason? His heart hurt in his chest. He had no other reason. He knew no other reason. He only knew Pearl, the life they had once had, and how much he yearned for that again. He didn't care where. Life or death or whatever this world was, he only wanted to be with her. "'Let's go, Tosito,' Mac whispered, his face lost in the light and the shadows somewhere above where Andrew still sat. "'We must keep looking.'" Andrew got shakily to his feet. "'Yes,' he murmured. "'We must keep looking.'" The sun had fallen, and the two men were far enough away from the valley that they could no longer hear the rumble of the great river, Nor see the soft green grasses, or glimpse the people sprawled in their faces to the sky. The night was cold, but the stars were out. Brighter than Andrew had ever remembered them. How many nights had he been here? It seemed so long since he'd left Mac's cabin. But when had that been? A few days ago? Or a week? But this was the first time on the journey that he remembered the sky growing dark. Could it really only have been a day? In front of him, Mac moved silently, his feet gliding over the tree roots. Without the sun in the sky, Mac looked even brighter. A fine white glow surrounded his body and pulsed as he walked. Andrew kept his eyes fixed on Mac's red and black flannel, a sight that had grown so familiar to him and comfortable somehow. Like his cabin, whose corners still burned in his mind had once been. But unlike his secluded property, Mac was here, alive. Something like a friend. Someone to talk to. Andrew's heart seemed to beat louder and he swallowed. It had been so long. Ho there! shouted Max suddenly, and Andrew was snatched out of his thoughts. Instinctively, he lurched back. When they'd come across the last person on their journey, he'd eventually disintegrated into the fog. Andrew wasn't sure what to expect on this new mountain, even at its base but it appeared that Mac hadn't been shouting at anyone. He turned around to face Andrew. Look, he said, his eyes gleaming and pointed. Through the trees a short distance away, in the middle of what seemed to be a large glade, a bonfire burned. Shadows moved in front of it. People? There were many of them, all clustered near the fire, passing around what seemed to be, Andrew squinted, plates of food Shouts of laughter arose from the smoke which curled high above the pines and was absorbed by the stars. What is... Andrew's voice was soft. He didn't want to disturb them, but he also didn't want to inhibit their joy from reaching his own ears. It was refreshing to hear their tinkling voices broken by sudden peals of laughter and the clatter of sticks on stones as they stoked the fire. Mac's eyes still shone. He answered Andrew, but he kept his gaze on the scene. The Wildering People. Andrew recoiled. Bewildering People? Like they confuse you? Lead you astray? Mac chuckled and the trees seemed to bend down, laughing with him. No, Tacito. The Wildering People are only named as such, because by their ways here, they bewilder those who are still journeying. These people live here, in this little village together. They've made a community, and that usually doesn't happen here. Why not? Asked Andrew his eyes on a small group of children that danced by the fire. Because, said Mac, most people here are in the first mountains, are looking for someone, or something. They're either looking, or they're resting in the valley. Very infrequently are people living here intentionally for no other purpose than to live. Andrew had so many questions that he didn't know where to start. Live here? In death? Why would these people choose that? why didn't Mac?" Right on cue, Mac looked at him. For a time I considered it, Tocito. The Wildering people are the kindest, most welcoming people I've encountered here in the First Mountains, and they invited me to stay. I almost did, but then... He trailed off. What? Andrew prompted. Mac just looked at him. You? He said simply. Me? Came out incredulous. Yes, said Mac. I was told you would be here. Who? Who told you? But Mac had apparently exhausted the subject. His gaze was back on the wildering people, and his voice was once again a familiar, somehow jingling drawl. Well, I reckon it couldn't hurt. And without warning, he had set off again, and Andrew's legs involuntarily stumbled after him. Mac drifted through the remaining trees separating them from the clade, and then, quite suddenly... They were there. There was music, and dancing, and Andrew had been right lots of food. Some meat seared over the fire floated past his nose on tin plates. Cups of a boiling, cinnamon-scented drink swirled around him, hands taking and passing and taking and passing again. Children tossed a knitted ball, something like a hacky sack between them in large groups, shouting something incomprehensible every time another caught the ball between his knees instead of his hands. When that happened, The other children fell on the ground instantly, rolled over a few times, and bounded back up in time to catch the hacky sack before it hit the ground. The older members of the community reclined in wooden chairs by the fire, speaking in vibrant voices. Andrew peered closer. There was no wood fueling the fire, but simply dark obsidian rock at its base. When the people sitting near the fire laughed, the flames leapt higher, crackling and spitting, almost chuckling against the midnight sky. Friends, said Mac to the nearest cluster of elders. They stopped mid conversation and turned, smiling wildly. Macario, said one with long gray hair and russet brown shawl, we were hoping you'd be back soon. And who have you brought with you? This, said Mac, gesturing behind him to where Andrew hovered, heart beating fast, is Tocito. Andrew couldn't help but notice how Mac's voice shone with pride and he felt a wave of fondness rush over him. Tacito, said the elder, looking at him. When the man's gaze met his own, Andrew's skin tingled. It felt as if a thousand eyes were lightly dancing over his whole body, really, truly seeing him. In his mind, he saw himself at three years old, hovering on the edge of an old bridge in his backyard, and his mother, long skirts swishing, running across to grab him before giving him a good spanking. The vision flashed, and he was fifteen, leaning against the schoolyard fence, watching the girls in their pressed white uniforms pass by, and he and the other boys with him hovered. The image flashed again, and things moved more quickly now. He was twenty-five, staring into Pearl's blue eyes beneath her wedding veil, feeling his lips form the words, I do. He was fifty, and they were horseback riding, the two of them laughing at the way the horses whinnied back and forth in their own conversation. He was fifty-five, was sick, laying in the hospital bed with whiter-than-snow skin. Andrew blinked, his own skin feeling warm and raw. The elder was still smiling at him, and his eyes were kind. Welcome, Tocito, he said. We are the storytellers, and we welcome you.
0: Thank you for listening to Novel. I hope you enjoyed this segment of our story. Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the show to help the show grow, and also so that you don't miss out on the newest episodes. Thanks. This episode was read by Jonathan Keener.
1: Written by Shannon Baker.
0: With hosting, production, and original music by Caleb Linville.